What's going on, Hotep to the family? We back again with another episode of My Unapologetic Perspective here on the Mighty Motivation Network, where we give our point of view of controversial topics from experience, history, knowledge as African Americans. I'm here with my co-host, Jerome Battle. What's going on? What's happening, man? Hey, feeling good, feeling good. Uh, ready for another episode. Um, again, thank you. All our listeners, all of our YouTube subscribers, all of the feedback that we've been getting um, is very much appreciated coming from us um, as we're doing this to try to spark thought, intellect and conversation. And I believe the more we begin to do it, the more conversations are being had, even if it's private. Absolutely. Um, we're getting more conversations in private that um, that are really uh, beneficial. Absolutely. Um, and inspiring. This, absolutely. And inspiring. Absolutely. Again, this episode is sponsored by Jay's Body Works. Does the body of your car need repair, restoration, or paint? For all of your auto body needs, visit Jay's Body Works here in Bedford, Virginia. Come down and get a free estimate uh, for your body work. And that number will be 434-665-9422. Or you can go down to 317 Jackson Street here in Bedford, Virginia. Email is jaysbodyworks at verizon.net. Again, Jay's Body Works does auto body work. Um, you will not be disappointed. Please right. go down and uh, show your love and support and get your car looking good. Working on a vehicle of mine right now. 100%. <laughs> um, so we're, we're going to jump into this topic today. And the reason why we chose to do this topic today is because of uh, Officer Derek Chauvin's case, of course. And watching the Virginia Democratic governor debate. Right. Um, this is something that was brought up um, heavily when they began to talk about the parole board and they were, when they began to talk about um, um, Officer Derek Chauvin's case. Um, every last candidate talked about the judicial system being um, unfair That's right. and, 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 and racist, um, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, so, again, we already see that people are starting to notice um, what's been going on here in America um, for a long time. And of course, we want to give our two cents on it for the people who didn't understand why that was such a controversial topic during that debate. That's right. Um, if you didn't watch the debate, please go back, especially if you live in Virginia, you should have definitely watched that debate. And, and um, two two great things are going on right now with this this governorship is that you actually have two black females. Yes. Running for the Democratic nomination. Two black females, one black um, male, um, which all three of them presented themselves very great in the, um, in the debate. The debate. And the one female actually came from Virginia State University. Um, again, that's where they headed at. So using the HBCU um, was monumental in, having a, in that Democratic debate. Um, so I want to start with something that I came across during a documentary. Um, and this is by Anthony Hinton. Um, and he says, while mowing his grass, two deputies in Alabama walked up to Anthony Hinton and placed him under arrest. When he asked for what, they told him for robbery and murder of a store owner. When Anthony claimed they had the wrong guy, the deputy said five things that would make you the right guy. Number one, you're black. You're black. Number two, the person that is dead is white. Number three, your attorney will be white. Number four, the judge will be white. Number five, the jury, the jury will, will be, be white. white. Therefore, you're the right guy. That's right. Absolutely. And this is something that occurred throughout American history. 
when it came to the judicial system. So we're going to talk about the systematic racism and oppression that's in this in the judicial system, not just for African Americans, but for poor white people and other minorities as well. Um, that's right. And now, before you get into it, I want to go back to something you've been saying for okay. the last couple of weeks. Um, the 13th Amendment. We just want to bring this up real quick because I think you've done an excellent job um, with the chronology mm -hmm. of how these things are taking place. Um, the 13th Amendment, just section one, I'm going to read really quick. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist in the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. I want to point out two things. When it says, except as a punishment for a crime, which means, as you've been saying, mm -hmm. the only place sl slavery can legally exist. exist in the United States is in prison. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that means it does exist mm -hmm. within the walls or gates of prison. Right. But there's one other part I want you guys to understand. Duly convicted. So duly convicted has been interpreted to mean the equivalent of by due process mm -hmm. of law. So for those that don't know, that's the whole process in which they do an investigation for a crime leading up to your charges, leading up to your actual trial and conviction or acquittal. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the penal system if you're convicted. That's due process for those that don't know. Now, the problem is. If they meant that, then they would have just said that duly convicted in in definition means. Not to require sentencing to be proportional or the trial process to be fundamentally fair or equal. That's important because they this is how they wrote it. Duly convicted is how it's written in the in the Constitution. So I just want everybody to be aware what we're talking about. So when they're applying these laws, they're just not pulling things out of a hat. Yeah. They they have legality to back what they're doing. Yes. So we want to make that clear. Absolutely. And when we begin, of course, you know, you know me. We're going to give a chronology of things while we go into this, uh, go into this system. So when we look at the criminal justice system, the um, the judicial system, the court system in America for history for the black people. Let's let's just go back and let's look. Let's look at after enslavement. Not alone. We know the slave catcher and we know the, the whippings and the lynches that came in slavery was um, the judicial system during slavery. But let's look at after enslavement. Um, one of the things that they came up with was the concept of slavery after slavery. That's right. And this was called the they they the vagrancy laws or the black codes black is what codes. they called it. So mm -hmm. the vagrancy laws was basically like um, if you didn't have any means of support, you could be arrested. That's right. So they would stop people um, walking in the streets and they would say, hey, who do you work for? Where do you live? Do you have any money on you? If one of the answers to those three questions was no, you was arrested. That's right. And you were brought up on charges and you had fees or you had jail time that you had to prove. Um, during this time, of course, you could uh, be arrested for just walking on the sidewalk and not getting off the sidewalk. If another white person is walking towards you on the sidewalk and they would charge you with disorderly conduct. That's right. That's right. And when you got arrested, they began to take you to the court system, to the judge. And what the judge would do is they came up with the convict lease system. That's right. And the convict lease system was 
once you were charged, they would make you do your time on a former plantation owner's um, land or um, on somebody else's property. So it was like slavery again. It, it was exactly so, slavery, but, but it was legal. Right. It was legal. So what they did was if you were charged, you would say they would say you would have to work here for a year until your debt is paid off. That's right. You would have to work here for six months until your debt is paid off. And it, they treated like indentured servitude. So That's it was right. more like it was slavery after slavery, like indentured servitude. And they can they built this convict lease system. Of course, most of the people doing this was African-Americans. And then after the convict lease system, they started. The chain, chain gang. gangs. And what the chain gang was, was instead of one person working the land, we're going to put all of y'all out here. And the movie Life, they, they bring this to light perfectly. That's right. You know, so the state of Mississippi want this here ditch clear by sundown. That's so right. we want everybody to go out here working. You're now working for the state and you're going to clear this ditch. When they're looking at Lil May Rose as she got older, they're working on the person's house. That's they right. Work, they, you know, and later on, Ray and Claude are working in the old man's house. So, again, we see things in movies that were happening to our people um, as we consider um, slavery after slavery. And, so, and that period is called the Reconstruction period. Yes, so, called the Reconstruction. So, so all of this is by design. Right. Because, again, um, during the Reconstruction period, if you listen to the previous episodes, that's the time where African-Americans were really um, coming into their own and uh, owning their own property, beginning to build and, and, and structure themselves. There, there are studies that say that over 2,000 black people were illegally lynched after 1865. Mm -hmm. um, but actually between 1865 and 1877, um, 74 years after that, they talk about almost 5,000 people were lynched. Well, we, we know the first death penalty in America is lynching. That's lynching. right. Lynching. Um, That's right. Going into black homes going into black property and lynching them based on what that person think is wrong. That's right. If you badmouth me, if you looked at me wrong, if you whistle that you white girl. Woman, yeah, if you did any of these things, if you call me a liar to some of your friends, then I'm coming back and we're going to lynch you. That's right. And the actual, um, the word picnic comes from lynching. That's right. The word picnic comes from white people putting out flyers saying, we're going to lynch this person at this time. Everybody come gather come around and see it. Come on, and it was like watch, it was like watching the movie, like going to the movies where they would set up their picnics with their sandwiches and basket with their kids, and they would watch this lynching. And then afterwards, if you look up the Google photos after of lynchings, they take pictures with it after the lynchings and actually held the the bodies for days. Like the deputy would be assigned to the body. To where the the family couldn't come get the body until after it was put on public display for maybe a week or so. Absolutely. So we we again we see the system at at an early time in America on how and what we see today, and we're going to correlate a lot on what we see today. But of course, when you go to court in the South, especially during this time, is the Jim Crow era. You had a lot of um, black people who were not going to be successful. Again, what I read earlier, you had. White judge, white jury, white prosecutor, white, white lawyer, attorney. and to where you, a lot of black people felt pressure to not go to court because the judge, the jury, the prosecutor were part of the public society that we know That's as right. the KKK. That if you were going to testify against somebody or bring charges on somebody, we knew who was going to visit you with this lynching. And there was an actual case, Pops, that they arrested somebody 
um, a black man, put him in jail. The mob came and got him out the jail right. and lynched him. Absolutely. Went past the, the deputies and the sheriffs and went to him and, 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 and lynched him in that case. And this is something that we've seen um, time and time again as we go through history. And, and as we begin to look at um, different things and different decisions that happen, uh, a lot of these things are partly motivated. And after you get the, the chain gang, we, of course, moving on through time, you get um, the mass incarceration, expansion of prisons, and we get the mandatory minimums. And you get the, of course, you get the um, the crime bill. The, the crime drug bill, drug absolutely. Drug. So again, when we see, especially in the 60s, one thing that you've seen in the 60s was they move away from what they call um, social programs, That's programs right. from housing, programs for jobs, and they moved into what they consider police military, police military and uh, prison expansion to say we're no we're no longer here to help you we're here to control you That's so right. th that was a big shift and a lot of politicians uh reagan um clinton all of these dudes uh bush they began to use their campaigns That's right. to basically publicly um devalue african americans as criminals and say we're going to be hard on criminals but it was a correlation and not say we're going to be hard on criminals we're going to be hard on african americans by tying in criminalization to african americans absolutely absolutely so, um the first thing we're going to talk about um when we begin to look at after we look at history um we're going to talk we're going to go through the judge and the juries but we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back and we are back we're going to jump right back in um picking up right where we left off so we're gonna let's start with uh the jury selection Let, let's look at the jurors okay because it's our sixth amendment right to have a um a fair trial by an impartial jury jury of um, your peers jury of your peers right so when we begin to look at jury selection um again if you watch tv shows for the people who are not really into reading history and reading and watching um reading books you can just look at the tv shows right when you look at the TV shows and the movies um, on the big cases, you will see if, they, if the defendant is an African-American. One thing that you will see is the defense attorney wants to get African-Americans on the jury. the jury. The prosecution wants to remove African-Americans on the jury. That's right. there, there are places, uh, law firms, that say that they train their prosecutors to remove minorities or African-Americans from the jury if the defendant is minority and African American, except for the OJ case, the OJ case was was different because in the OJ case, the prosecution didn't mind it because they were trying to get women on the stand. They That's thought right. women would be able to um, relate to the OJ case to get him convicted. But most of the time, prosecution is trying to remove African Americans and uh, minorities from the juror pool whenever there's an African American defendant because. Um, of course, they, they want white people to be on on their side. That's right. Now, a lot of bad defense attorneys will not fight it because they believe it'll show a racial type of um a type of um case. That's right. But <laughs> they the don't, good, they don't yeah, want to make it about race. Yeah, but and the prosecution is playing a whole different game. That's right. But when you look <laughs> at um Good defense attorneys, they would ask questions to the jurors like, have you ever made a racist joke before? That's have right. you ever laughed at a racist joke before? In the 60s, a good me, a good defense attorney would ask, what did you do during the integration of school? Did you remove your kids from school? That's right. Yeah. Oh, well, we don't want him on the jury. Because they started asking racist questions. 
to try to remove racist people from off the jury. That's right. So um, if we look at certain places, um, especially like in Texas on death penalty cases, eight out of 10 African-Americans that qualify for jury are removed on death penalty cases by the prosecution. Absolutely, because African-Americans are less likely to agree with the death penalty. Right. Why? Because we're more likely subject to receiving it in a lot of cases wrongfully mm -hmm. than, than our counterparts. Right. And one key case that happened was um, Batson versus Kentucky. Batson was um, charged with burglary and receiving stolen products. And he went to trial and he had four African-Americans on his jury that the prosecution removed. And he was convicted on those crimes. And he appealed it to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, you have a Sixth Amendment problem and you have a 14th Amendment problem. The Sixth Amendment problem, you weren't tried by a jury of your peers. 14th Amendment problem was you didn't have um, equal protection. That's right. Under the under the court system for for a fair trial. So that's one of the reasons. Um, Again, it's not against the law to remove right. African-Americans <laughs> from the jury, but it does create an impartial and. Um, and discriminatory cases against certain people when there's um, no blacks on the jury. Absolutely. And, and you know, if you take small areas um, that have a population, a predominantly black population in one area, mm -hmm. and you look at statistics, and mm -hmm. statistics say that uh, you have 13% of the population may be black, mm -hmm. right? But 25% of your prisoners are, are, are going to be black. Mm -hmm. If you look at that, that's a large percentage of your black community yeah. that's incarcerated. Yeah. So the, the 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 structure of the system is if they're convicted of a felony, which plays into why you see a lot of plea bargains. Yes. Um, because obviously they want the conviction. And if I can get that felony conviction, guess what? You you can't not only can you not vote, you can't even be on the jury. Can't serve on the jury. So now I'm limiting the number of blacks that can be on the jury. Right. And that's important. And a lot of people don't know that that plays a part in how you get some of these uh, prosecutors that decide I'm going to plea bargain you. You know, it's still a felony conviction. Right. Because people always say the prosecutor just wants the conviction. No, he wants the conviction, but he also wants to make sure that one, you can't vote. And two, now you can't be on the jury. So now I have to worry about you anymore in that sense. Right. And if you look at the criteria on what you can be excused from to not be on a jury, a lot of the conditions deal with African-Americans that, OK, you can't get child care or you can't um, you don't make enough money to be away from work. Those types right. of things. Absolutely. So it, it, it caters towards not not needing blacks on the jury pool. But if you look at why this why is this important? Because if you look at most cases with no black people on the jury for African-Americans, they are convicted. 86% of the time. That's right. Compared to 53% of the time by white people. When, it, when it's a white defendant. When there's only one black juror on the jury, that number changes from 86 to, to 73. And the white person's person's uh, conviction changes from 53 to 73. Absolutely. So it becomes even when there's only one, one black, black juror, on the, juror. On, on the jury um, right. compared to none being on there. And if you look at the Trayvon Martin case, Trayvon Martin only had one black juror on, on, his, on his jury. And when you look at that, you say these people cannot relate to Trayvon Martin. Only one 
um woman on here can relate to Trayvon Martin and the other other people were white female that's right and you know there's also studies that talk about how you actually pool the individuals that's going to receive the summons for jury right duty. so if you pool it correctly because you can do that based on districts um we talk about the the polling sites for voting yeah. how they do it by district and sometimes they do it in the sense of they'll put the polling place for a predominantly black community in a white neighborhood mm -hmm. and it's a distance away that they got to travel to to be able to go to and you often think what happens if they put that polling district for that all white community in the hood yeah how many of them gonna go down to the hood and vote yeah well the same thing happens for jury selection um, if they send those polls on the district lines to the communities that they know are one, even predominantly white, mm -hmm. or the cost of the housing is so high that even if it's a minority, they're going to have a good job mm -hmm. and they're probably going to be law abiding and they're probably going to agree with some of the concepts of white America. Right. And if we look at number one, the media plays a, a huge role in determining things for the jury. So if you look at certain cases, let's look at the Trayvon Martin case. White females are mostly on that juror pool. And they already think that Trayvon Martin is guilty because of what the media has showed them about Trayvon Martin, that Absolutely. he was a young thug, a young teen. Now, if you have blacks on that jury, then they're going to look at Trayvon Martin like their son instead of looking at him like he's a 15, 16, 17-year-old thug. That's right. So again, we see why having blacks on the jury will create that relationship with the defendant or the person that um person that is the victim um, of the crime to why it's necessary because a lot of white people can't sympathize with African and Americans to understand that. Absolutely. And when you put them on the when you put them on in the in the jury, they're already going to conceive that a lot of African Americans are guilty. Just because they're black. Absolutely. I mean, we talked about it off air um, before we came on, is that a lot of people's principles and values are actually formulated from their experiences. Yeah. Um, what they believe to be true. And if they've been for white America, if they've been shielded from the truth about black Americans, uh -huh. then that's going to develop their principles and their and values value. based yeah. on that. You hear all the time people say, does racism still exist? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah really? Yeah. I mean, based on their experiences, they may think it doesn't. Right. And, and we've actually talked about a Republican that we all admire in terms of the way that she articulates right. conversation yes. to Candace Owens. But at the end of the day, living in Massachusetts, I find it hard to believe that she's never been discriminated against. Yes. Um, even, even to even say that she may not have known it, but I think that there's had to be instances where she was discriminated against and she she knew about it. Yeah. And her, her history says otherwise. Absolutely. Well, anyway, Absolutely. Um, as far as um, that. Um, so when we look at the jurors, the jurors play a key role in trials and, and, and convictions. And the other key part we're going to bring in, let's bring in. Let's talk about the judges. Um, when we look at the judges, the judges are going off of very little information about a defendant and, right. and which is when it comes to a, a African-American, they're looking at more of a biological standpoint, geographical standpoint on how to determine how to handle a case. But when you look at something simple as, let's just go with, let's talk about making bail. Let's, let's look at that first. Okay. So when you're talking about making bail or bond, there's only a few criteria that comes with a person making bond. There's only well, two things that a judge really supposed to go off while That's determining right. bond or bail. 
number one is it's not supposed to be determined off guilt or innocence. That's right. It's supposed to be determined off if you are in danger to the public. Right. So uh, I'm not danger yeah, to the public. I'm not going right. to give you bond if I feel like you are in danger, an endangerment to the public. The second reason I'm not going to give you bond is for the specific reason that I think that you you're are going risk. to you're going to you're going to violate the mistrial, I mean the the pretrial conduct, which means you you're at a risk to get in trouble again before your trial start, before your trial starts or you're not going to show up to That's trial. Right. Them the only two things that's supposed to go into effect when determining um, whether a person should get bond or bail. And of course, if they've had bond or bail before, if they didn't come to court on the that's bail right. bond, then, then I'm going to Yeah, then I'm, you're, you're not going to qualify. But I've seen instances, and I know we all seen instances where that's not true. Absolutely. I believe that the judge a lot of times go off of if he feels that a defendant is guilty or an innocent or um, and let's just let's just throw this in here real quick. When it comes to but there's three type of bonds or bails that you can make. Number one is you can go to home electronic monitoring. Number two, you can be released on your own recognizance with saying that you're going to appear in court at your trial time. That's right. Um, which is a promise that you're going to make to the court. Number three is you can make a monetary um, bond or bail where you pay 10 percent down and a bail bondsman pays the. The other part, and you and you right. get out, or you can put up the whole thing or and you, get it back when you go to court. Right. right, and those are the three things. And one thing that we see is African Americans are either African Americans and Hispanics are either denied bail or bond, or they have to pay monetary. Yeah, or <laughs> the monetary is huge, and the monetary is actually higher exactly. than what white people have. Exactly. To pay. So that bond is so high that they know that the minority is not going to be able to come up with those mm -hmm. funds, even with the GoFundMe page. Right. And that's critical because the um, the the white guy who killed the protesters at the Black Lives Matter pro uh, protest mm -hmm. and killed the two individuals um, had a GoFundMe page that raised enough money for him to make bail. Yeah. And even despite the fact that the pro the prosecution for the, the, the one time that we feel like they may have been on the side of the victims did all they could to prevent that person from getting out on bond, but right. could not. Um, because the law, then the, the way that the people apply the law, in this case, the judge, yeah. applied it so that this individual could make bond. But if that was Lil Eric down the street, forget about it. No. You know, Lil Eric ain't getting out. Exactly. So when we that's why it's important that I said that blacks and Hispanics are most likely denied bond because one of the criteria is if he's an endanger to the public, so a lot of black people are in danger to the public just because they're black, just because, just because they're, they're Hispanic, just because they're a minority. So a lot of people are not able to make that monetary bond. Poor white Americans also aren't able to make that bond because it's so high that they can't pay to get out. So they're, they're just casualties of war. Right. So when we see <laughs> when we see this things happen and we understand that the judge makes a lot of decisions based on very little information. That's right. But we can go off this very little information to say, okay, why are you only going off of that? And why doesn't this apply? This is, and for the people who think that we're being biased, you can go look up the case studies. Duke University, Stanford University, Princeton University, um, the law firms in Chicago, they've done these studies on the same judge in the same courtroom to look at the, the way that he set his bonds and his bails and the same offenses. When it comes to black and white people, when they starting to see that black people are more denied bail and bond, 
for the same charges as a middle class white person or an elite class white person and for the same charges and they're not getting bail or bond. And That's if right. they do, they're getting high amounts of, of pay that has to be paid. That's almost impossible for them to, to get out. To, to get out. Because right. we understand that everything is a business. Absolutely. Uh, the more money you have, the more luxuries you have afforded to you, even on the legal side. Right. And then we also were looking at the sentencing guideline. When we look at the sentencing that African-Americans for the same charges as a white person are getting six, six months longer than the white defendant for the same crime. Yeah. They're getting sentenced longer and they're doing more time. Right. So so you have the same crime uh, committed by a black offender mm-hmm. versus a white offender. The black offender typically gets sentenced longer. Right. And then even if the sentences are close, the the black typically serves longer than than the white. Yeah. Um, and also what they are subjected to in the prison system is is obviously quite different as well. Yeah. And of course, uh, not only again, not only black people, poor white Americans. Listen to this. If you have a lesser education. That's right. You serve a longer sentence. If you have less money, you serve a longer sentence. So again, we see the gaps and disparities, whether it's race, whether it's economic, whether it's social class. That's right. We begin to see the disparities in our criminal justice system. Again, everything is a business. Because you know, and, and I think, well, you you have a criminal justice degree. Yeah, and and, and we're very proud of that because mm-hmm. you you chose that side of law and order, which mm-hmm. I think is is. It's great. But I see a lot of problems in it. Uh, Obviously, you get to see from a totally different perspective than most of us. Yeah. Because obviously I was on the other side. Right. And we we both are able to see how the holes in the justice system uh, disproportionately affects the black community. Right. And the fact that it happens and it happens so, so often to the point that I'm not even surprised. I I just saw some footage this morning of a... um, uh, a sergeant in the army that was pulled over in Windsor, Virginia. Seen it. Yeah, Seen in it. Windsor, Seen Virginia, it. pulled over. Yes. And what he did is when the cops put on the lights behind him, he continued to drive until he got to a well-lit area mm-hmm. to pull over, which by is, is legal. It's legal. 100% legal. Pulled over, turned on his flashes to acknowledge, I know you're behind me, but I'm going to pull over as soon as I find somewhere safe and lit to do so. Yes. And he did so, and immediately they pulled the weapons on. Yes. And that one of, conversation, one I of the police officers to Google it. Yes. Just Google it and see the video footage for yourself, because I'm kind of like uh, uh, some of these attorneys that they're bringing on CNN. It doesn't even surprise me anymore. Yes. It, it's to the point where it doesn't even surprise me that it continue it continues to happen. What surprises me is that people continue to say that it's only a small portion. That's what bothers me, right. is that people continue to say, ah, how often does it happen? Yeah, it still may happen, but it doesn't happen as much as it used to. That's not true, because every research, and I'll, I'll go ahead and throw this in there too, a lot of research is done by white America. So let's, let's make that clear. Mm-hmm. And research says that it happens a lot more now than it did in the 70s and the early 80s. Right. That's mind boggling. Here's the thing. Not only does it happen more, we know about it more now because of social media. Right. So without social media, this would be going on and we probably wouldn't even know about it. Right. So that's scary in itself. So even when you look at that situation, I guarantee by protocol or procedure, he might have been right. That's officer. right. But that doesn't explain 
how wrong he was. Exactly. Absolutely. So, so, so I know there's some officers that may back what he what is doing because by procedure you may be right. That's right. But it doesn't make it humanly right. Absolutely. Because, and, I, and I actually applaud the other officer because he attempted to try to intervene. He said, he "Listen, did. I'm trying to help you because this guy's off the train." That's right. You so, better, you so, better yeah. listen to me so because I, yeah. yeah. And so I, I applaud that. Even if you look at Derek Chauvin's case, when we look at Derek Chauvin's case, there are police officers that are back Derek Chauvin. That's right. But the police system as a whole cannot back Derek right. Chauvin. Because he didn't follow right. procedure. Because he did not follow procedure. Now, there are some people who think that he may have been right in what he did or wasn't wrong in what he did. That those, those two different conversations. But the fact that the police are actually getting on the stand the, the defensive tactics people are getting on the stand two black people the um the commissioner and the the with the police chief and the um the the def tech whatever um guy or whatever from the LAPD what they did by being black and getting up there they showed that even though y'all may agree with this it's still not by actual police system that's right you even had the other cop the other officers that was at the scene that were questioning during if you if you watch the whole video they were asking you know should we let him should you let him up so he can breathe right you know they were asking the question but obviously they weren't the senior the senior uh, officers on the scene right and usually the senior officer on the scene is the one that's in in charge the, this this is key that's key because if you look at military you look at criminal justice seniority is very very real within the system yeah, absolutely which which means if you don't have the experience if you're your rookie or you're new or if, even if i have more than like two years than you i am considered the more superior officer That's because right. i know what i'm talking about um and when we look at that it, it's, it's not exactly right um and a key point and when we talk about secure um sentencing guidelines when it comes to the judge is the prosecution can now make a recommendation on what they think the sentencing should be. Because back in the day, the pro whatever the prosecution said the sentencing was going to be was that. Then they said, no, that gives too much power to the prosecution. The judge can determine what the, the sentencing could be, whether it's higher or low than what the prosecution actually um That's right. want to do. And what we've seen in the Amber, the officer Amber's case, which was she went into the apartment and shot my man for no reason. Thought it, was, um, thought it was her, thought it was her, according to her. According, according to her. her the prosecution in this case, they recommended 28 years. The judge gave her 10. So again, we see how much power a judge can have, even if it's lessening time um, against the systematic oppression right. of, of, I, I of the system. I often say sometimes it's not the laws. It's the officials that... that and how they choose to apply them right. is the problem. And that's that's a prime example where the judge decided that they were going to go against the prosecution and only sentence to 10 years. Right. And that's why we have to keep an eye on this case, because for the people who don't know, the same Minneapolis Police Department was on trial back in, I think, 2014. A uh, Samoan black man named uh, Nora Muhammad killed a white woman, tried to help her after he shot her. He said that she stalled on him. He shot her, tried to help her. She died. They gave him 12 years. So again, we have to see what Derek Chauvin's case is going to be because this is going to draw the line between the separation of, of black and white, 
a black person dying and a white person dying, a black cop and a white cop. So, and, and, and that's huge because if you think about, let, let's talk about stand your ground for a second in the states that have your stand your ground law. Now, we've heard about Trayvon Martin because obviously they say that uh, Zimmerman had the right to stand his ground. So for those that, that don't understand the, the acquittal, that's part of what it was. Oh, we're going to your ground. In Texas, there was a couple of individuals that killed blacks that also got found now guilty by stand your ground. In reverse, there's a black lady that was in a standing stand your ground state who had an ex-boyfriend. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. Hold up. I, before we get there, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that because I got that. I got that. We're going <laughs> to talk about that. We're going to compare that real okay, matter of fact. So we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Oh, all right. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to be right back. I promise you, you ain't going to miss this. <laughs> and we are back. Again, this episode is sponsored by Jay's Body Works. Um, if you want a free estimate, you need restoration or paint, go down to Jay's Body Works and get your car looking. That's Good. right. All right. So we're going to jump right into juvenile court. And when I look at juvenile court uh, from personal experience, um, one of my cousins got caught underage drinking at 20 years old and they actually charged him with that. And one of um, some of my friends in high school got caught at a high school party where they were underage drinking. The only thing happened there was the parents was called and nothing happened to anybody. Nobody was charged in that case. And the parent, nothing happened to anybody. And that's a problem with our juvenile system is that blacks are considered as delinquents in the juvenile system when they do something illegal and whites are seen as just acting out or, um, finding a pleasurable diversion, mm -hmm. which is unfair to African-Americans and poor white Americans and minorities. Um, because as we see, as we look through statistics, you know, black girls and black boys are uh, detained in the juvenile system two times, uh, twice as more as white people. And they're actually taken to uh, juvenile systems three times more than likely um, than white people. And they're actually brought in through the juvenile system in their case being taken up to the adult system um, at a higher percentage than white people as well, which is unfair um, when we begin to look at the the, the juvenile system. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the juvenile system is, in a lot of cases, can be the prelude of what's to come. We, we know that, mm -hmm. but not always. Uh, it can be an opportunity for people to learn. But just like you said, that when it happens to black kids, the first thing people say is he's going to be a problem. Right. Not that he's a problem right now, but he's going, going to, to be, be a problem. problem. Yeah. And then when it happens to a white counterpart, they say he made a mistake. Yeah. Um, he's at, as you said, he's acting out. Um, he, he, he's just being rebellious. Yes. Yes. Um, but at the end of the day, they don't see that individual being a problem. The other thing that we talked about in the past is one of the equalizers that we we, we can't get away from. We're not going to get away from is education, mm -hmm. um, being educated, uh, being uh, going to school and learning and and having good grades. Just so you know, we talked about structure for sentencing guidelines mm -hmm. as well. So when you have the juvenile, one thing that they look at is what have they done? What other things have they done? They go and talk to the principal, the school teachers, yeah. the parents, find out what has this this child been doing. And if they come back, hey, he hasn't been a problem, 
then things could be looked at a little different. Right. Um, and I think that we have to understand as parents, we need to understand how the system is going to deal with your child when they go into that system, mm-hmm. even at the juvenile level. How is the system going to treat them? But then how is it going to affect this individual later on in life? And that's important. Right. Right. Because even if you look at why is this important? Because there are some people I know that got caught into the juvenile system and they already had that. That what that on your report card is what we call it. They had that stamp on their report card may not have been a felony, but even a misdemeanor as a teenager will already put that that stamp on your report card to say, because well, we know the juvenile case is supposed to be sealed up. <laughs> I, I was getting ready to say it's that. supposed to be sealed it's, whenever it's you become to be an adult. sealed. But here's the problem. Sealed does not mean it doesn't exist. It's, it's actually the opposite. Right. Sealed means it exists. It exists. And trust me when I tell you, somebody is going to read it. Right. Okay. A judge is going to read it. Somebody that's going to be deciding your fate is going to read it. Why? Because it's there. Right. <laughs> That's why it's still there. And and this is actually a problem that we have with social media is because when we look at certain cases and certain things that happen to juveniles, it's supposed to, the name of the juvenile is not supposed to get out to the public. That's right. But with social media, not only do the name get out, the picture get out, who they are get out. There was a case that happened a couple of years ago when Lynchburg, where a little white boy shot two black students. That's right. And his name got out. And if we ne- if his name never gets out, his identity never gets out, it would have just been another teenage case. That's right. And that That's happens right. in Lynchburg. But being that it came out that the little boy doing the shooting was white in a black neighborhood, it changed the game for black people the way they looked at the case. Absolutely. May not have changed the game for the way the... The core system looked at the case. But for the black community. But for the black community, it, it changed the way we looked at the case because if it would have been the op, if it would have been another little black boy shooting another two other black boys, we would have known what the outcome was going to be. Absolutely. And I, I also want to bring up something else when we talk about from the juvenile perspective or just early in life, not even the juvenile. You could be a young adult, 18, 19 years old. I want to talk about something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago is not knowing the law that absolve you from, from the, the penalties yeah. of the law. And I'll give you a great example. Uh, I, I talk sometime about a good friend of mine when I was in high school. He chose to go into law enforcement and become an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said one of the questions that they asked him on the test is, have you ever had sex with an underage, uh, underage girl? And he said most people would say no, mm-hmm. because obviously I ain't, I ain't slept with no underage girl. What if you were 16 and the girl was 16? Yeah. So that's a, that, and the reason I'm making this point is I had a, um, uh, a high school friend who once he graduated was dating a girl that was still in high school. Oh, I know what you're about to say. Good and, point. Good point. um, him and his, uh, the, the parents of this girl did not get along. So the, the day he turned 18 or so, they, um, took him, uh, charged them for statutory rape. Mm-hmm. And, I'm going to use this phrase because it is true. Ruined his life. And and, and I'm not saying that he's not doing well today um, because he is. But when I say ruined his life, it's things that he endured that is still affects him, still affects him to this day. Right. All because he dated a girl that was younger than him. And I will add this one caveat. She was white. Mm hmm. 
you don't typically, and, and you being in law enforcement see this, you don't typically see statutory rape when it's a black offender and a black female. Yeah. That usually doesn't happen. Yeah. So I just want to make that point clear that even though people know it happens, the prosecution usually only takes place when the the offender is black and the female is white. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, even when we talk about from the juvenile system to family court, um, when we look at a lot of conditions of family court, of course, it's child support when it comes to black offenders. And, I, and, and I'm not advocating. I'm not on the side to where uh, child support, they need to pay their child support. But let's look at it for, look for a second when it comes to child support and, and black offenders and poor white offenders. Mm-hmm. I've seen cases where a person is in jail, incarcerated, and get hit with child not paying child support. How do you expect? And then you get rearrested and charged and thrown in jail for not catching up your child support. That's right. How do you catch up with your child support if you're in jail? This is That is the craziest thing to me. But when we begin to look at felony, feloners, um, who's more likely to not get hired for jobs? African-Americans to be able to pay that child support. But who's more than likely to get, um, when they go to family court, have to pay child support at higher rates than white people, black people. So when we begin to look at the unfairness of how even the child support system is, we see why a lot of blacks are incarcerated for, for, for fines, fees, or whatever the case may be. Because that's another thing that they do once they, um, that's right. once you get out on probation, you have a bunch amount of fees that you have to pay. And if you don't pay that restitution, you go, you get back that's in jail. Right. And that goes back to the convict right. lease system. Where we talk about the fees that you had to pay, the fines you had to pay, what you worked at all. That's right. Same thing. Again, different terminology, same that, thing. That, that's the cycle. Right. You know, I, <laughs> I, I tell this joke all the time, but it really is not a joke. It really did happen. Um, I, I had a, uh, an individual that I know of that when he went to court, he said, your honor, please look, I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. If you give me time, I'll, I'll do the time, but don't give me a time and a fine. Just right. give me one or the just other. So for a drug dealer, if they hit you with a $25,000 five and a 10 year sentence, and they're being generous on the 10 years, when you get out, how are you going to pay that 25,000? Well, they already got an idea of what you're going to do. Facts. And the cycle continues. You get out. You start selling drugs again, and here's the problem. You don't even pay the $25,000 fine. That right. gives them a reason to come arrest you. Right. So now they come arrest you, and guess what you got on you? Uh-oh, back into the system again. Right. So uh, the system is designed to create that cycle. Mm-hmm. And you know what we do? We buy right into it. Right. We buy right into it. And when you when we talk about that system, we talked about the juvenile system, the juvenile system of Getting, a, um, getting in trouble illegally as a juvenile and you get thrown into juvenile detention center. There's another system that happens with family court, That's right. which is if the parents do something, they take the kids away from the parents. That's right. That is a whole different system that is uh, dramatizing our, our young black kids and poor white Americans and minorities because who's more than likely to not get their kids back even after they follow the court orders and all of the obligations that is mandatory to get your kids back african americans hispanics and other minorities that's right most of the time they allow the parents to negotiate with other family members to take the kids yes. while they go uh serve their sentences right. where they don't give the black families that opportunity right um and this this is this is happening today I, if people look at statistics, you'll see statistics now 
that the probably the hardest thing to get in America right now is a, a white baby. Right. Okay. It's hard to adopt a white child. They, they're hard to do. But you can go get a black one of any age today if you want to. That is a whole different conversation. We're going to get into that one day. <laughs> but that, well, not today. We're going to get into that one day. Because, you know, we, we I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to get into that right now. I'm not going to get into that right now. Uh, again, when we begin to look at the family court, we see that um, the, the there, I seen statistics and I, and I didn't write them down, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at them uh, because I want to go more in depth to it. But I did see statistics where it talked about single black males with kids versus single white males with kids that black fathers are more involved in their kids lives than white that white kids on um, white fathers that are separated from their kids. But blacks pay higher child support. Um, blacks are, um, when it comes to custody, visitation rights, they're given less um, than the white people, uh, than, than the white male father. Um, there, but there are statistics that show that the black father is more active. That's right. Or speak to their 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 kids more. Even with you, Dad, growing up, um, you called us every day. That's right. You know, even though we were only with you, um, every other weekend, you still made, I knew what time, whenever the phone rang, your daddy went, uh, phone for you, 530, I knew who it That's was. Right. That's right. And, and that is an involvement of, of your kid's time. Uh, and we starting to see that a lot more from black fathers. So absolutely. And I, I, you know, I, I think outside of when you look at people that's incarcerated, let's just go there for a quick second since we're talking about crime and justice, is that I, I'm affiliated with a, a program called the IF program, Incarcerated Fathers. Mm -hmm. And in, in this program, it allows uh, fathers who are incarcerated have or develop a relationship with their kids on the outside. Mm -hmm. And when I look at the number of Black Americans that participate in the program, it's overwhelming compared to the white counterparts right. um, where these, these men are incarcerated for, you know, various crimes and various sentences, um, you know, from five years to life without possibility of parole. Right. Yeah. And they're continuing to, to try to have some influence in their kid's life, not really trying to develop a, a relationship, but to have a relationship to the point where they can be influential. Mm -hmm. And there's one thing that you said, I think on the very first podcast is that, when you're dealing with black youth, you have to be sincere because they yeah, can okay. sense when you're not sincere. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether it's your mom or dad or just a counselor or a police officer or whatever. You have to be sincere. Yeah. So so when we're talking about juvenile offenders and we're talking about them going into the system, I joke all the time about calling prison the institution of better behavior um, and rehabilitation. Rehabilitation starts with the individual and their parents or anybody that they that you feel can give them some positive information mm -hmm. because the system does not rehabilitate you. All right. it does is right. isolate you. Right. So let's be clear. Mm -hmm. It's just going to isolate you. That's it. So rehabilitation has to start with that individual that mm -hmm. did something wrong. And then making sure that they they're in touch with good people that can kind of give them some information and lead them down the right way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, wonderfully said. Um, so when we look at the juvenile family court system, we see some disparities there, too. Now, let's go even deeper. Let's go deeper for a second. Um, 
the one problem that I have with the court system um, is public defenders. <laughs> now, I, I I know not all of them are are bad. Are not all they're, they're looking to do that job. When we look at public defenders, public defenders is mostly for poor people. That's right. You can't afford to hire your own attorney, but you have a right to representation. That's right. So, want to be appointed to. Now, again, statistics show us only five percent of lawyers in America are black. Very, very low. We have to change this some kind of way because the other 5% is Hispanic and 3% Asian. That's right. So that just shows you how far we are behind in the system when it comes to defending ourselves and getting um, justice. You can't, we can't talk about equal justice if we're not in the justice system. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's key. If you're not on the opposite side of the justice right, system. Right, right. So <laughs> right. We, we can march and protest all day. We want justice all, all day, but this is why we're talking about this because whatever happens with this Derek Chauvin's case, black people aren't going to be surprised. That's right. We're not going to be surprised because we've seen it. I'm actually expecting, to be honest with you, even with all the evidence against them, I am expecting to be to be disappointed. That's right. Even if he, they say guilty, I'm expected to be disappointed in what the judge say the sentencing is going to be. Uh, absolutely. It kind of reminds me of uh, you mentioned earlier, the O.J. Simpson trial. Right. And, you know, at, at the at the end of the day, I, 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 I'm not going to say what most of, most black Americans may have thought or didn't think. But I would say that most of the black people that I know that was happy that he got found out guilty. It wasn't because we didn't think that he committed the crime. It is not that we did not uh, uh, feel any kind of way about the victims because right. we did. Obviously, two people lost their lives. Mm -hmm. But we felt like it was justice for a black man finally in the criminal system, right. whether he was guilty or not. Right. And obviously, in my personal opinion, and I'm not going to be apologetic. Why? Because that's not what we that's do. What we do you know, that's not what we do is I felt like they tried to frame a, a guilty man. Right. They tried to frame somebody that had if they just followed the law mm -hmm. that was really situated for them to find a black man guilty and murdering two white people. Mm -hmm. If they would have just followed the guidelines of the law, they probably would have got a guilty verdict. Absolutely. And then, so when we look at the public defenders, okay, one thing we have to understand is what is their attorney client relationship? That's right. Because who do, who do they work for? Who do they work for? Because when we look at, if you can hire your own attorney, number one, if you hire your own attorney, you got money, and you more than likely if you're in places, positions, you have somebody who know this attorney and y'all can develop a relationship. You can come up with your case. That's right. This is why we talked about why bond is 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 a good thing because you can get out and y'all can talk. But with a public defender, you're you're likely not making bond. That's right. You're in jail. They have to come see you in jail, be on the phone with you. They really don't have time. They're overloaded in case management. They have 200 just like you for this week. Don't even know your name. Don't even know your name. They're, What's they're, your name again? They just happen to look over your case. Oh, I got to go see him because this case is coming up tomorrow. I've seen public defenders not even talk to their client and until the day of the trial. Into the day of the trial. He's like, yo, I got I got court today? Yeah. Talk I to you. I'll my, talk to you 15 minutes before the trial. We, I we know, can, my, we get my lawyer ain't even came to see me. And I'm <laughs> like, well, you might want to see if you can get a continuance because th th that's bad. But when we look at this, we see that a lot of the, the public defenders are white and they can't relate to a black defendant. How can you defend somebody that you can't relate to? 
that you don't understand That's their right. culture, that you can't sympathize or be empathetic to. That That is tough to do for these white public defenders because they have no way to connect with this person. And they did, they did um, studies that show that most poor whites and African-Americans do not trust their public defender. That's right. But they have no other option. No they other even option. want to defend themselves. But in that, most of the time, the, the first public defender that they're assigned actually ended up withdrawing from African-Americans' case because they don't see eye to eye. That's right. And th that is a problem whenever you go into the court system is they don't have equal representation because, number one, they don't have access to the lawyer as you would if you actually pay for That's a lawyer. Right. And number two, he has 100, 200 cases like you. He's overloaded. Means, he's overloaded. He's overloaded. And which the key thing that they do, we talked about this in one of the episodes, is they try to get you to take a plea deal so they ain't got to have you. Take a plea deal. Take a plea deal. You know, if your attorney don't talk to you until 15 minutes before trial, you know what he's trying to do. Right. You and know again, what he's trying to do. So we know that the plea deal is because we know public defenders are friends with prosecutors. We know that they know the judges. We know they roll in the same circles. That's right. We, we talked about this before the start of the podcast. For those that want to Google um, Crook County, Google Crook County. Yes. And what you will find out is that the system was designed to predetermine how they were going to prosecute black offenders. Mm -hmm. um, so you had judges, prosecutors. Yes, public defenders all eating lunch together, joking together and mm -hmm. deciding the fate of young black offenders. Yeah. Ones that they figured they could save and ones that, you know what, we're going to sacrifice this one. Absolutely. Pre going to court. So nobody has any information other than the, the information that they've developed on the investigative side in terms of whether this individual is guilty or innocent. Right. They could care less about that. They're going to make that determination not even based on the evidence, yeah. based on the fact we got them locked up. So the conviction already happened the minute they slapped the cuffs on them. Absolutely. And <clears throat> again, so when we look at, this is why we need more black lawyers. This is why we need more black judges. This is why we need, if you get jury duty, black people, has, um, minorities, go serve your jury duty. This is why if we want to make change, we have to be able to get into the system because we see the problems that are happening and, and learn, learn as much as you can. Yeah. And, and something Bacon and I talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago is something that a lot of people don't know that you have the right to other than an attorney uh, or, or being silent too. some of you talk too much. Sometimes <laughs> when we put the cuffs on you, but you also have the right because you got to keep in mind that you're innocent until proven guilty. Yes. But when you come in that courtroom with that orange jumpsuit on and them shackles, you appear to be guilty. If your I'm lawyer, you. if your lawyer does not tell you that until and allow you to be in an orange jumper and shackles, you need to fire him immediately. That's right. Get you a suit, a shirt, and a tie. And I know a lot of people say, "Hey, I ain't wearing no tie." But if your freedom's on the line, put that tie on. Right. All right, but get out that orange jumpsuit or tan, depending on what prison system you're in. Get them handcuffs and them shackles off of you yep. and look presentable when you go to court so you're not looking the part. i give you an example. Everybody knows Suge Knight. You, we've all heard the stories about Suge Knight. You ain't going to tell me the brother don't look guilty when he come in the courtroom, 410 pounds, <laughs> busting out that, that, that orange jumpsuit with them shackles on, Thanks. man. Brother, look guilty. You say he a thug. Oh, yeah, 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 he a thug. He probably did kill about five, ten people. You know, Thanks. so I want people to understand you have some rights. Yes. But the best right I can tell you is if you already know that the system is geared against you, you already know that. 
don't commit crimes. Exactly. That, that's the best advice I can give you. And we're going to be right back after this quick commercial break to wrap this thing up. And we are back. Um, we're going to jump right in. Um, talk, let's talk about death penalty real quick. Um, why, if you watch the movie with Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan, um, what's it called? For Justice. For Justice. For Justice. Um, they talk about the death penalty cases um, heavily. When we begin to look at the death penalty again, going back to history, we know the first death penalty is just lynching black folks. That's right. We know that. Uh, mobs going into the houses. Um, we know, we know the youngest to, to die by death penalty was uh, George Stinney Jr., black right. guy, a black kid, 14 years old. Right. And um, when we begin to look at uh, things, we know one in 10 people on death row are innocent. Not Guilty of a lesser crime, one in ten not, on death row is the crime. innocent. That is a high rate for somebody to have their life being at risk to be taken by the state um, or the judicial system um, for us to just look past. The one in ten are, are actually innocent. And there is uh, statistics show 47% of the time they're African and American. That's right. And when we look at the the 1900 cases or more now that have been on death row or the death penalty for African-Americans, um, 46% of the time they're actually either innocent or guilty of a far lesser crime. Right. Um, and, and you know, when the it comes to exoneration, is, when you talk about the ones that's on death row right now or, or recently, um, like you just had a guy just a couple days ago after spending 38, 42 years behind bars, they found out he didn't commit the crime. Never get that time um, back. Can't get it back. And also, certain states, in terms of payout, they only pay you for 10 years. Yeah. So we, I think he gets $50 million, I mean, uh, uh, $50,000 for every year he was incarcerated, mm -hmm. but they only can go for 10 years. And yeah. he was incarcerated for far longer than that. But you also think about, in terms of, of these cases, a lot of these cases happen pre- DNA and forensic science as we know it today. Yeah. So you have these cases where you have, hopefully you have evidence no, that can be reviewed. Well, most of them don't have evidence. You have, you're going on witness testimony. Right, exactly. So they were, which is why some of the laws have changed yeah. that eyewitness testimony cannot be the only reason, one, the charges are brought and two, for, for, for convictions mm -hmm. in most states. But also you have the problem of availability of money to be able to hire DNA uh, experts to go yes, back and review yes, yes. evidence that ballistics that and all happens of that yes. to still be present that didn't mysteriously get lost or uh, thrown out when they the police department moved from one from one location to another mm -hmm. that only seems to disproportionately affect black offenders mm -hmm. or accuse uh, and, and innocently convicted uh, black black offenders. But if you don't have the the resources to pay for this this, this testing, guess what? They don't test it. Yes. And you would almost think that if there was an inkling of information that could prove this person's guilt or innocence, mm -hmm. that you would spend the money to, to do the testing. Right. Unless you really felt like there's a possibility of this person to commit the crime. Right. Um, the Anthony Hinton guy that I actually talked about in the introduction, he actually wanted the um the the um the the judge to look at the ballistics, the prosecution and the just look the That's ballistics right. of his case. And they actually told him, the Supreme Court judge told him, that's a waste of my time and my money. That's right. And 
George Bush actually uh, appointed him one of the uh, federal Supreme Court judges. That's right. Um, to where actually um, people was like, nah, that ain't, that's not going to happen. That's He's actually happen. removed. But we could just see from the system how, how that occurs. Um, and when we begin to look at 50% of African-Americans that was convicted of murder, they found out was either innocent or, or um, guilty of a lesser, lesser crime. crime. That's, That's right. a high rate. That is a high rate. And in the death penalty cases, they found out that 22% of the death penalty cases that were exonerated had police misconduct in the investigations. Absolutely. Um, so when we begin to look at, at number one, the death penalty for the people who support um, killing people on, with the death penalty, yeah, it's scary. For people not want to commit a crime, but as we see, one in 10 are innocent. That's right. That is a high rate to try to allow people to kill um, people um, at the state level, especially when the majority of them are African-Americans. That's right. And um, you can go back and read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird or watch the movie on To Kill a, Bo to Kill a Mockingbird. Um, all of these things go back to, to those cases. Um, the Green Mile. Hell, go look at the Green Mile. Um, which I don't know. It doesn't really relate, at least when you watch the movie. But in theory, that was designed based on the George Steiny Jr. case that right. we talked about. Right. So when we begin to look at uh, certain cases, uh, there's a few cases I'm going to go through. Um, I'm going to correlate it. Then I'll let, I'll let Pops do his thing. Um, one key case, if you look at Ed Johnson, Ed Johnson was a case in Ch Chattanooga, Tennessee in which he was arrested for sexually assaulting a white female back in 1906. And um, they actually convicted him because a witness said that they seen him with a leather strap earlier that day. And that's what the white female was actually assaulted with, was with a, a leather strap. So going off of that, um, he actually had people who testified uh, with his alibi that he was no nowhere near in that vicinity, but he was convicted by an all-white jury and sentenced to death. With the U.S. Supreme Court granted a stay of execution, a mob broke in and done it themselves by lynching them. Um, and one of the last things he says was, uh, God bless you, I am an innocent man. And he was actually um, exonerated in the year 2000. Now, what good does that do? It gives the family some, some, um, some comfort, but the guy's gone already. Um, and that, that was a later overturn. But there's a few cases I want to correlate. Number one would be the Scottsboro case, 1931. Okay. A fight occurred between black and white boys on a freight train traveling through the town of Scottsboro, Alabama. The police rounded up all the black boys riding on the train and ultimately arrested nine black boys ranging from age 12 to 19 after two white girls then came forward alleging that they were gang raped on the train. All nine defendants claimed innocence after four separate one-day trials with all white juries. Eight of the nine were convicted and sentenced to death. Um, the appeals would last over 20 years on retrial. One of the rape victims testified that the rape was fabricated. Yet all white juries again returned guilty uh, verdicts <laughs> in the end. After facing on multiple retrials, all the Scottsboro boys had their convictions dropped and were sentenced to lesser charges. Now correlate the Scottsboro case out of 1931. And for all the people who've seen the recent, um, show on Netflix, 
talking about the Central Park Five that happens in 1989. That's right. A criminal case in the United States over the aggravated assault and rape of a white woman that was jogging in Central Park of Manhattan in 1985. They arrested five black and Latino teenagers ranging from the age of 14 to 16. So where they were just rounding up teenagers and trying to trying to get a story together. And when they interrogated these uh, teenagers without their parents being present, without a lawyer being present for seven hours before ever writing down their actual statement. That's right. And then what they told them was, if you confess that this person was here, this person did that, that we'll let you go home. And a few of the parents was like, yeah, just do it so we can go home. Again, not knowing the law, not knowing the, law. Not knowing the system. That did not happen. And what this what we seen was their story overlap. No evidence pointing towards any of them, but they went and they were um, found guilty based off of their testimony um, with no lawyer present. And, and Donald Trump at the time actually said that they should have been uh, killed. Right. They, and they, his right. ad in the paper helped sway a lot of people to thinking that they were guilty. Absolutely. Um, and when you look at those two cases, let's correlate this with the same time uh, frame with Yusef Hawkins. That's right. So you see two black mobs that they contain, that they talk about, um, found guilty for something that they didn't do. Now, in, you, in 1989, Yusef Hawkins was a 16-year-old African-American boy who was on the east side of Brooklyn with his little brother and his friend. And they were mobbed by some, um, I don't know if they were Italians or Irish, but they were uh, mobbed by white youths ranging from 10 to 30 with baseball bats. To the point where one actually shot Yusef Hawkins twice and killed him. That's right. And out of all the 30, only a few were convicted. One was convicted of, um, I think it was second degree murder. And one was convicted of a lesser crime to where, and then the rest of them got community service. But it would have to be an outcry for charges to even be placed on these boys. Absolutely. So we see already the correlation between the system that when it's a black mob, for something that they didn't do, they're automatically presumed guilty and thrown into jail. But when a white mob does it, we have to march through the streets. We have to uh, go national with it. We have to bring it to public attention before we can even get arrest and charges brought in. Um, Absolutely. Give me your thoughts on just those three cases real quick. It, it happens all the time. I mean, and, and you gave a great example of how it happened in, in history and how it happens even as recent as, you know, a few years ago, even right now. We, we talk about it all the time that juveniles and parents, too, because not knowing the law, especially with with the uh, Central Park jogger. Yes. Is the parents did not lo- know the law either. Yes. And you had overzealous. And, and I, I want to point out something else that's crucial about that 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 uh, Central Park case. When you watch Law and Order today, you see how involved the prosecutor is in the investigations. Yes. You even see the prosecutor go out to the crime scenes sometime with Stabler or whoever the officer who the officer is on whatever version of Law and Order you work. And prior to that Central Five uh, jogger situation, Central Park uh, jogger situation, prosecutors did not do that. Right. That was the first instance where. The prosecutors got involved in the active investigations mm-hmm. and interrogation of 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 of, uh, of people who alleged the, the allegedly offended. And you know when you watch that, and I, I advise people to read the book, not necessarily watch the movie, watch, watch but the movie. Re- read the book. 
and you will see where one they they didn't they didn't give these these kids anything to drink. They didn't give them food. No. Um, denied them access to the parents. And yes, the parents were saying, "Hey, say this," or tell them whatever they want to know. Because obviously, the parents didn't say lie. The parents was assuming that maybe the other kids they were didn't guilty. Know they didn't know they, each they, other. They didn't know. They didn't know each other. So the parents were saying, "Well, if the kid in the blue shirt is is the one that's saying that did it, say the blue the kid in the blue shirt did yeah. it." You know, so not knowing the law and being tricked, right? Uh, obviously, being tricked by 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 the police department led these young men to to enduring some hardships in prison, right? Uh, and I and I don't care. I, I've realized that they got a lot of money when they got out, but it cannot pay for what they endured when they're in there. I think one of them was brutally raped, yes. uh, several times. And what the, he was the one that was actually sixteen at the time and can be tried as an adult. That's right. So again, it goes back to. The juvenile system that we talked about that you see most of the time that they would try a black kid as an adult versus a white kid. That's right. And one other case that happened during that time, 1984, I believe, Bernard Getz. Bernard Getz uh, um, got robbed riding a subway. And uh, went, Getz, uh, Michael Griffin went, went and got himself a gun. And Bernard Getz went back to the scene of crime and waited to be mugged again. And when the people approached him, he pulled the weapon out. And as the offenders were running away, he shot him in the back, mm -hmm. shot him in the back, charged them. Not guilty. Mm -hmm. Not guilty. Why? He was white. The offenders were black. Right. So it, this, again, is showing you how this is 1984. This is happening in 1984, still happening today. today. Right. Uh, I'm a, it's another, uh, another three I'm going to correlate together. Uh, Lena Baker, 1945. For killing a white man who kid, who had kidnapped and assaulted her, she claimed that she had shot him in self-defense. Baker was convicted by a white uh, a jury of white men and became the only woman ever executed by electrocution in Georgia. In 2005, the Georgia Board of Pardons and Paroles granted Baker a pardon, saying and saying that the state had committed a grievous error. 1945. They said a grievous error. They didn't say murder right. because that's what they did to her. They murdered her. Right. Two. Uh, 2004, Centoya Brown. Brown, who was 16 years old and the victim of sex trafficking at the time as a murder, claimed that Allen had paid her $150 to have sex with him and that she feared for her life during their encounter leading her to shoot him. Brown was found guilty of robbing and murdering Allen and was sentenced to life imprisonment. The man that she killed, other teenagers said that they felt unsafe around him and one testified that um, the same thing that uh, Santonio Brown had happened to her. He raped her for the same thing. So, and she was actually just exonerated as well. Um, but we get to look at 2019, Brooke Richardson in Ohio. Now, Brooke Richardson was a, Oham, was a high school cheerleader who was pregnant and killed her newborn baby. And after she killed her newborn baby, she buried him in the backyard and she was found guilty only for the abuse of the corpse and where she buried after she buried it. And she only got three years probation. She actually went and bragged on social media that she had got her figure back. That's right. So this just shows you how much the system is different for black and white people, because you can kill a baby and you can get three years probation. After even bragging about uh, getting your body back, if you're white, but if you're kidnapped, you're sex trafficked, and you kill your your uh, your kidnapper, or your rapist, you given imprisonment, 
or you're executed. That, that that brings us to the one we were talking about before we went to break a little while ago, and I can't remember her name. You Marissa her name. Alexander. Yeah. Florida, so, 2010. So she had an abusive boyfriend right. who had threatened, called her on the phone and said, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to, you know, and uh, she she got her gun. Right. And when he came and started pounding on the on the door, she didn't shoot him. She didn't shoot through the door. She shot a warning she, shot. She shot a warning shot. In the ce- in in the ceiling, she shot a warning. Wow, warning shot! You know to scare him off. Cops come, they arrested her for shooting an occupied dwelling. I think was that the only charge? That's the only charge, and she got a mandatory minimum of twenty years. Twenty years. Now, now, mind you, this is in a stand your ground state. Mm-hmm. This is in stand, and that was the approach that they took. Not just self defense, but also stand your ground. And she was protecting herself. The boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, even testified in court. I was going to whoop her, okay? And she had a protective order. Had a protective order. But she was black. Right. Stand your ground does not work for us. And if you look at, let's look, let's look at another case. John McNeil, 2005, received a phone call from his son reporting that 19-year-old Brian Epp was trespassing in the backyard of the family's Georgia home, welding a box cutter. McNeil, a black man, returned home, called the police and told Epp, a white man, to leave. He then fired a warning shot onto the ground and Epp continued to approach. McNeil then shot Epp, killing him. Witness corroborated McNeil's account of events and police initially ruled that that he acted in self-defense. But months later, the Cobb County District Attorney's Office brought about murder charges against him and won a conviction. McNeil was sentenced to life in prison. In 2013, after spending six years in prison, McNeil's case was reconsidered and he pleaded guilty to reduced charges of manslaughter and released on time served and probation for 13 years. Now, you look at Amber, uh, Officer Amber Garrier's case in 2018, her case was to be considered to be stand your ground as well. That's right. Because the judge actually recommended to the jury, consider this as a stand your ground case, to by her going into somebody else's apartment killing them and only getting 10 years. So again, with the stand your ground rule, uh, rule and we ain't even going into the Trayvon Martin case, That's right. we see the differences when it comes to black people and white people. Um, even if you're talking about firing a warning shot, even if you're talking about standing your ground. I, I just implore every, every, every listener, everybody that's viewing this right now to keep in mind that you have a, you, it is incumbent upon you to have discussions with people, especially if somebody says to you, I don't think discrimination or prejudice plays a part in what we see that's happening in America today. Stop. Here's the one. Stop. Everything's not about race. Stop playing the race card. Yeah. That, that's what they always say. Everything's not about race. It's not. All I know is we we look at the facts. We look at the research. And a lot of this information is not coming from other black people. It's, it's coming, coming from, it's coming from white, white America. It's coming yeah. from white writers, white investigators. It's coming from documented logs. It, this is not black people interpreting something to, to be able to play the race card. Here's the problem. It's not a race card. It's reality. That's what we're playing. We're playing reality. And reality is racism doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And the 13th Amendment allows slavery in the prison system. Mm-hmm. So how can I enslave you? Lock you up. Mm-hmm. That's what I can do. Now, we can talk about the number of whites uh, that are in prison because I want, there's more whites in the prison system than black. There's more whites in the United States than blacks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, of course, you're going to have more whites in the system. That, that's, that comes with the territory. 
However, to them, that's a casualty of war. Right. That's a casualty of war. Obviously, the goal is you create dissension, you make them vulnerable. We are vulnerable because we're divided and we're divided because one, we're not getting the level of education that we need. Mm -hmm. And two, we're not applying the principles and the values that we need in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. So we can avoid those things. So I implore you to have these conversations when somebody says, stop playing the race card, stop them in the tracks. It's not a race card, dog. It's reality. Right. So again, we went over this because of the Derek Chauvin case. Because of the cases that we continue to see every year every um, within the uh, system regarding racial injustice. So we can see how it happens. We can see how a police officer can get 10 years for going to somebody else's apartment and killing them. We see it. We see the justification for it within our system. Now, are we saying it's right? No. But we have to begin to look at the procedures of the, the court system to see why and how are they able to do this. That's right. Well, so when we get the Derek Chauvin sentencing or the conviction or whatever the case may happen, we shouldn't be surprised if if, if it disappoints us because we see the system. And in order to change the system, we have to infiltrate the system. We have to question the system. And if, if you don't know the system, that's a problem. If you don't know the law, that's a problem. If you don't know your constitutional rights, that's a, that's a problem. I'm not saying that even everything in the Constitution is actually catered towards you. But you should see the things that's not for you. What was not what was created to exempt you? Where were the uh, ratifications came in? That's right. You have to begin to go look at these things so you can have a better understanding at the system that we're in. Because a lot of people don't understand the system. And when you don't understand the system, you come up with things like, oh, there's no racism. No, you don't see a, a, the racism that we're talking about. You're talking about somebody blatantly going up to somebody, calling them names or whatever. That. We seen that spitting on them, all this other stuff. That, That's right. That was the 60s. That's right. Now we're looking at a different type of racism because it is more systematic now. Whether That's it's right. politics, whether it's the criminal justice system, whether it's the workplace, whatever case you want to look at it. But we know it's there. But some of the people are so blinded because they don't know. They don't know the information and they don't research the information. They don't look at the case studies. They don't look at the statistics. They don't look at the history. They don't look at other court cases. To see, oh, that's how they came to this conclusion. That's right. That's it's, right. It's not right. Are they right? But is it right? Exactly. Two different things. Absolutely. Two different things. We know there's some things, okay, they're right by procedure to do this. But it's not right. That's right. And so, the only <clears throat> thing can change that. Shout out to Maryland. Um, Maryland um, was one of the, the first state to say no about the 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 police officer bill the law enforcement yeah they vetoed bill. it Veto. well the, the the governor vetoed the, the governor bill vetoed the bill the the yeah exactly they came in and said okay you can veto it all you want to we gotta we gotta fix for that absolutely absolutely again <clears throat> and again i'm not even gonna say what it's about i want you to go research what that bill is why maryland said the the people of maryland said right. absolutely not and 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 I know a lot of people don't like politics and we don't really get in. We don't usually get into politics. No. We try to stay away from politics. But obviously, if you want to, if you want to create real change, one, you do it in your personal life. And yes. You do it with the individuals around you, people that you come in contact with every day. And that applies to black people and white people. Uh, Malcolm X said it best. If you want to help us 
overcome these these atrocities. Then you go amongst your family and friends, and and when they're talking about uh, blacks being a certain way, you defend us. Yes, that's what you can do. But for for blacks that want to make change, global change, change that's going to affect you today, your grandkids tomorrow, your great grandkids in the in the in the future, then you have to pay attention to politics. Yes, because as you as we just pointed out, if you look at the Thirteenth Amendment. If you and this is this is this is something that was created for them to impose slavery. If you look at that, that's the law. Mm -hmm. So if you want to make real change, you have to start looking at the law. You have to change the law. You have to look pay close pay, pay close attention to politics. Right. You're gonna to have to utilize your right to vote. You're gonna to have to educate the people that are voting to make this kind of change that you want to have impacts. Years down the line, you right. have to do this. And I ask you, people, if you didn't look at the 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 um, uh, debate the other night with the the governors for the Democratic side, I ask you to go back and look at it. For all the for all the people who follow us on YouTube, I'm going to put that link in the description where you can Good. go back and watch that. Good. I think it's important that you look at not. We're not just talking about history, guys. I I know I mentioned Jennifer Foy and, and Jennifer McLean two black female politicians that are running for the Democratic nomination mm -hmm. for governor. That that's not. I'm not asking you to vote for somebody just because they're black. I'm not asking you no. to do that. Because like I said before, if you do that and white America votes for the white candidate, blacks would never win. So right. I'm not asking you to do that. But I'm asking you to go out and listen to what they're saying. Listen to the things that are going to could affect you for the next four years, the next six years, the next 10 years, but also your kids and grandkids. What we're doing today is not necessarily for us. It's for all of us, but it's for our kids and our grandkids. It's for the future of black America. Right. Again, we can't we can't move forward as, to the future without knowing history to apply it presently on what we need to do to get to our future. And we can't change anything that's in the system. We can't change anything in America. We can't change anything in the community. Until we change what we do. That's right. So we can know LeBron James stats last night. <laughs> we can know what new shoes come out tomorrow, whose new album come out tomorrow, what new movie come out tomorrow. But do you know the bill that they just passed? Do you know the bill that they just passed that affects you on what you can and you can't do? We got to know these things. Do you understand what, we, what they're talking about when they're talking about legalizing marijuana? Absolutely. Because are they really talking about legalizing it or decriminalizing it? So... And, and, and for those that don't know, Google. Go to Google. You don't have to accept our word for it. We're not asking you to do it. We're I don't want you to yeah. accept my word for it. I want do, you to go research. look it up. I want you to research. Understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then how does it affect you, your family, your kids, your grandkids, your, your employment? Right. How does this affect you? How does it affect you when you fly from, um, from here to, 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 to California and your, your pilot on the flame... <sighs> Uh, we're going to be in Los Angeles in a couple minutes. Okay. How, how does this affect you? Right. And I know that sounds funny, but I'm being honest. Right. I want you guys to think about how does some of this legislature affect you? And for those that smoke weed and think that it's glorious, hey, kudos to you. I'm, I'm, I, this, this applies to you too. How does it affect you if you have a job though? But, and they still do drug testing. How you have that conversation with your employer when they drug test you and you go, but it's legal, dog. No, I, I want you to think about that. We're invoking thought and discussion. That's what we do. Absolutely. Thank y'all for tuning in. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. Please subscribe on the Mighty Motivation Network on YouTube. Um, peace to the family.